स्थापकायर्मस्वधर्मस्वे अवतारवरिष्ठा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णं वंदे जगत गुरुं so last class we have just concluded the study of the fourth chapter of shrimad bhagavad gita and today we will start with the study of the fifth chapter of bhagavad gita now the fifth chapter is entitled as sanyasa yoga the yoga of renunciation and it starts with the question of arun arjuna he is bit bewildered by the teaching of shri krishna in the fourth chapter because if we find in the fourth chapter the bhagavad gita in the fourth chapter we find bhagavan starts with the concept of yagya how all our actions in our day to day life can be converted into a form of sacrifice that yagya in the early stages of the vedic move, our period you will find that the idea of yagya even now it persists is that is a fire sacrifice that you lit the fire fire is considered as the agni devata which is the mouth of all the devas any oblation which i offer to the fire is carried to the various devas the various concepts of divinities and in return they shower the blessings so that was the initial concept but in bhagavad gita we find bhagwan sri krishna enlarges that concept to include all our activities as a part of yagya just as a being we find that all our emotions everything feelings is nothing which we can claim is my own when the mother sing just feels the maternal love for the child can the mother say it is she who loves the child apparently yes but we will find in the entire creation that mothers are bound to love the child what to speak of humans even of any animals in any other beings what it speaks of that it is a particular emotion which has been implanted if we believe in the divine the divine has as if implanted that motherly love in the heart of the mother to take care of his own creation so mother becomes an instrument it is the god who loves his creation and to take care of his creation he has implanted that motherly love in the mother's heart through which it is the lord who is taking care of this entire creation now if i am aware of this fact then what happens the love will won't bring any suffering how i know i am a mere instrument in the hand of the divine it is the god who to take care of his creation has implanted that love in me 
And whatever I do for my child, it is the God who is working through me. If it is a God who is working through me, and if I am the instrument, I have no claim as, so, as such in return for that love. All the suffering comes when we have expectations that I love such a person so much. I love my child so much and see how he or she behaves. That expectation gives us suffering. If always we are aware of the fact it is the divine who is taking care of his creation through us, then there cannot be any expectation from whatever I may be doing. And at the same time, I will be doing at the best of my capacity, knowing well, all the skills, all my emotions, all my feelings have been implanted by the divine in my heart to take care of his creation. I do it to the best of my capacity without seeking any result or avoiding any responsibilities. The entire Bhagavad Gita's Karma Yoga in the words of Swami Vivekananda can be explained just by simple phrase, seek not, avoid not. Don't seek the expectations, the results of my action and neither avoid the responsibilities because it is God who has kept me in such a position in life. We find that there's a larger force. I cannot help. I simply cannot forsake my duties and just say, I don't want to take care of it. I have to. He has placed me in such a situation. I have to take care of them meticulously. At the same time, not expecting anything in the hands in return. As one of our Swami, Swami Ramakrishna used to say, he did a lot of work. And someone asked, how is it possible for a human being one in one hand, one handedly to do so much of activities in one life. And in reply, he used to say humbly, I am just a pain in the hand of the author. The author is the divine. Can the pain claim that I have written so many books? It is the author who has written. I'm just the pain, just the instrument in the hand. So when we have this idea, then the action becomes a worship. Through my actions, I'm always aware of the fact that I'm just a mere instrument in the hand of the divine. Whatever I'm doing is just an act of offering. It is not for me. I have no claim of idea of doer and enjoyer, that I am the karta and I'm the bhokta. No, it's the divine. So all the activities become yajna. So and various, in various ways that yajna can be done that we saw that for a student to delay the gratification of the senses. Not that, that what we say to the student, that all your enjoyments are waiting for you. Restrict your life to a certain extent. Delay your gratifications. Why? That have a view of long-term goals. Don't be lured by the short-term goals of life. Everything is waiting for you. You will enjoy. Restrict your senses. Focus in your endeavors for which uh, your life will be integrated and focus on that. And that becomes an yajna. What? You're offering the Indriya Sangyama as a sacrifice for the time being so that for a student, his tapas becomes his adhyana, his studies. That idea we found, it is one of the concept of yajna. So as a student, I'm doing yajna through the control of the senses. As a householder, when I enter the house of a householder, we will find our scriptures are wonderful. 
they have spoken of four purusharthas dharma artha kama moksha they are not saying that you go only for liberation artha kama earning wealth enjoying the sensate pleasures of life is okay as long as it is guided by dharma with dharma it is guided you enter the householder's life yes you have the license to enjoy to acquire wealth but it should be guided by the dharma don't do something which is not righteous so as a student i have developed that capacity to control myself so that i can channelize my energy in such a way that instead of it, it disintegrating me it integrates me at the same time it integrates the society my family my neighbors everywhere so there what's the what's the yagya there we find that you offer the oblations to the senses what it means that should i give a free license to the senses no the idea can be understood with an example that what we do this type of worship is not there in any other type any other religion so in our religion what's there that we will be offering certain things to the divine that the first mango came in the market we buy i like it instead of just simply having it first i offer to the divine the moment i offer after that when i have you will find your greed has got converted into devotion now so you like your mangoes no one is saying you stop picking but offer it to the divine it becomes sanctified now you will find that instead of subjugating your senses you are sublimating them that each and every act becomes an offering to the divine so that way by sanctifying all the acts of life you find that it's a very nice way of acquiring devotion where you don't have to force yourself stop yourself from all the enjoyments of life that's why our festivals are so colorful everything is allowed but associated with the divine so that you will find through <clears throat> that for uh, the socializing even for through socialization through all our having food socializing we find somehow the divine is there in the background you go to any of the indian temples that's the idea it's a festive moment but somehow with all our festivities we know that god is a part of our life he is with me along with me whatever i'm doing i'm doing it as an offering and having it as a sanctified offered thing and that way the devotion starts growing so in householders life the yagya is yes you offer when as a student i was subjugating myself controlling myself to develop the faculty of channelizing my <clears throat> senses in a fruitful way in a constructive way that find expression is a householder but a certain stage of life comes in the middle age that whatever goal i had to acquire wealth to acquire name and fame position in life the pleasures of life i got everything in a very in the by following the dharma i got everything and then comes a big question what after this now my senses will start its strength will start dwindling and i find that what nature has given me at certain point of time has started taking back everything 
my intelligence I will find, my mind is becoming dull, my senses are becoming weak. And then that frustration comes. After what, for what this life was, nature gave me everything to take away everything. Then what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? That's what we call that midlife crisis. A sense of meaninglessness comes. And then there's the fourth Purushartha, the moksha. That comes into picture. Now they say it is not just delaying the gratification. Know the very fact of your existence, that you are the self. Somehow you got entrapped in this body-mind complex. The self which is eternal, it is always proclaiming that there is no death for me and there is no unfulfillment for me. I am always in bliss. That is getting reflected, echoed from the body-mind complex. And that creates a delusion. Just when you are shouting in front of the mountain and your name, you are shouting your name and the name is echoed back, you feel someone is calling you from the mountain. The same thing happens. The self is constantly saying, asserting, I am eternal. I am ever fulfilled. I am at bliss. That gets echoed from the body-mind complex with which it is associated. And now the self is deluded. It thinks the body-mind complex is saying, I am eternal. I am ever fulfilled. And now it tries to realize that through the body-mind complex, which is impossible. The body-mind complex is a flow. The entire biological evolution which has happened, Vedanta never denies it. It says, yes, it is true. But it has happened because of ignorance. Just see a small, small micro. The conscious principle has got associated with that. And now the macro says, I am eternal. I am ever fulfilled. To realize that, what you will find? That in a petri dish, in the lab, if you're looking through the microscope, if you put some nutrient in the center of the petri dish, you will find all the microbes, which are not visible. They are also having life. They start moving towards that nutrient. Raga, attachment. If I put, instead of some nutrient, if I put some toxin, it will move away. Dvesha, hatred. What happened? As now I feel I am this body-mind complex and I have to realize the eternity through it. Anything that is going to damage it, I am repulsed from it. Anything which is going to nourish it, I am drawn towards it. So moment the asmita, ego, comes into picture, I develop this raga, dvesha. And this is the cause of evolution. My fight with the nature, that something within me is saying you eternal, but I find I am not eternal, and I am trying to realize that eternity through this body-mind complex, and this entire evolution has happened that way. And the culmination of the evolution is the human being. As a human, we have the faculty to realize, oh, it was delusion. Actually, I'm always free. My association with the body-mind complex made me feel that I have to realize that freedom, that eternity through the body-mind complex. But I'm already that. I leave that association. I'm already that. As a human being, we can realize that. When you pass through your life and come to a state where everything you can get through the world of senses has been attained, you have reached a state of saturation, a state, and then that meaninglessness develops. And then that new spiritual portal starts opening up. I'm already free. I'm already eternal. 
I have somehow with my wrong association, with my attachment with the body-mind complex, again and again, I'm going through this dissatisfaction. I get nature gives me everything, again takes away everything, I cry, and that takes me to the process of transmigration, avidya, kama, karma, chakra, because of ignorance, the desire arises, the desire leads to all this action, and it goes on, cycle after cycle, life after life, enough of it. We find that there is a joy in going around the ferry wheel. The child goes around the ferry wheel, <clears throat> comes down, and he's not satisfied. The child is not satisfied. Says mother, I want to go once more. <clears throat> so that's what we are doing. <clears throat> the same ferry wheel we are going around and around. But even for a child, we find a time comes, he says, enough. No more. No more going round and round in this ferry wheel. Enough of it. So for us also a state comes when we say enough, enough of this going round and round to the circle of birth and death. I'm the eternal soul. I'm already fulfilled. There is no need for my fulfillment by being associated with this psychophysical existence. Let me be detached from it. <clears throat> and then starts that life of contemplation. No action, enough of it. Let me be always diving deep, getting identified with my soul. And that's what leads to the moksha. So now you will find that it is the actions which at last takes you to the state of jnana, <clears throat> the knowledge. And as if these two are separate, segregated, that is through knowledge you reach a state of satiation, satisfaction, and then that renunciation comes. And now the doubt comes. What about action? Is any action applicable after that realization? We will find in Bhagavad Gita, the last, the last chapter, though it spoke of this idea in the 33rd mantra, that sarva karma akhilam partha jnane parisamapyate. All our actions at last leads to that jnana, to that wisdom. And then again in the last sloka, what Bhagavan says is something very interesting. He said that tasmat ajnana sambhutam ritstang jnana sinatman. With the sword of knowledge, you cut asunder the ignorance. And then chitvainam sankshayam yogam atishta uttishta bharata. Now you, we all know the background of the Gita. That Arjuna, seeing his relative in the battlefield, <clears throat> retreated and didn't want to fight. He was full of piety. And Krishna, at that time, was encouraging him to go for the battle. So that's the idea we find again here. After saying that you get rid of the ignorance with the help of this knowledge and then get up and fight. Now this really confuses Arjuna. That just now you were saying that once you get established in that knowledge, that happens and there's a culmination of action. Then again, this getting up and fighting, how it is possible, how you can relate this to us. So this creates a confusion. But actually, if we go through the teachings, there is no real confusion. 
it is a lack of our understanding what bhagwan is saying there is no ambiguity there but it is because of our lack of our understanding that type of confusion happens as very nicely in the kena upanishad shankaracharya's commentary we find a very nice thing he is saying that <clears throat> when we listen to a teacher that what are the reactions which are possible ekasmat guru shrinvatam after listening to the guru kashchit some of them yathavat pratipadyate some can comprehend as it has been said kashchit ayathavat pratipadyate some will not understand it in the correct sense their understanding is not clear it's we find everywhere it happens as per the level of the intelligence as per their focus some understand it correctly some won't understand it correctly kashchit viparitam pratipadyate will just uh, comprehend in a total opposite manner just opposite and some won't comprehend at all any nothing kashchit na pratipadyate iti so in the kena upanishad introduce uh, the second verse in the second mantra of the kena upanishad in the commentary shankaracharya is mandating so that happens with all of us it's not only with arjuna it happened with our entire nation in india in the name of spirituality you will find that in spite of having the scriptures with very clear instructions clear knowledge what we find we all thought gyana is something better than karma and there is a tremendous inclination towards sanyasa we all extol sanyasa and these actions are something inferior to renounce and lead a life of contemplation is something superior that's why we go to a monk and say oh you are great i am something small but in our scriptures we never find that's the idea it's just two ways as per our temperament one may have taken the path of sanyasa but in no way a householder is inferior to sanyasi if he is leading the life based on the idea of yagya he is as good as a sanyasi but somehow we had that idea as we found that in the bhagavad gita the 33rd shloka in the fourth chapter says everything culminates in gyana we are not aware what bhagwan has said in the last shloka and for thousand years we will find what has happened that religion means renunciation that to attain moksha is the only goal of life and we somehow were not at all interested in action what happened we find two fold mainly two fold there are so many ill effects which resulted from that <clears throat> the main two is that as we are not all suited to live up to that high level of living high level of understanding we start compromising with our ideal we gradually pull down the ideal all sorts of superstition wrong practices starts in the name of religion you will find it has happened for thousands of years as we gave moksha the only priority that actions should be renounced only moksha in the name of religion so many wrong doings superstitions evil practices you find it's there even it's prevalent now and another thing the society got stratified as karma has no value you will find in the interior villages of india it is just a living fossil what the society was 1000 years back it is same as it is 
because karma is not, it is just to sustain our life somehow. There was no question of abhyudaya, trying to evolve, <clears throat> that there is a need for social upliftment, for the welfare of the entire society. That was not taken care of at all. So these happened because we never understood the Bhagavad Gita in its proper sense. And that happens to Arjuna here. And that's why the very first question starts with the question of Arjuna in the fifth chapter because of this doubt that you spoke of karma and then you spoke of jnana and again at last you've mentioned that the karma at last ripens into jnana and after that there is where is the scope of karma and you are asking me that after getting established in that knowledge wake up and fight get up and fight go into this horrible action of war how how it can be really uh, synthesize these two ideas. I don't find any meaning out of it. And that's with, with which the fifth chapter starts. The first question. Arjuna Vacha. Sanyasan Karmanam Krishna Punar Yogam Chasanshasi Yatsreyam Etayo Rekam Tanme Bruhi Sunishchitam. That first, uh, that you have sp spoke of karma sannyasa, renouncing the actions in the second phase of the fourth chapter. He speaks of jnana from the 33rd till, uh, from the 34th till the 42nd verses. He's exclusively speaking of jnana, where there is no uh, scope for action as if. And then <clears throat> again, you are speaking of yoga. Yoga speaks of karma yoga, punar yogancha sankshashi. You are praising Sannyasa, again you are praising Karma Yoga. So please, I am a bit deluded, confused. So among these two, which is superior, say me definitively. Yat Sreyang. Which is superior among these two? Yat Sreyang. Etayor Ekam. Among these two. Etayor Ekam. Which is among these two, which is superior? Tanme Bruhi Sarishchita. Speak to me definitely. So renunciation of action, you recommend. And again, it's performance. So which of these two is a better one? Do tell me decisively. <clears throat> so now comes Sri Krishna's answer. So that answer speaks of this fifth chapter. To this question which has worried Arjuna, he will be answering that. And uh, how, what the so first uh, the response to Arjuna's question is in the second verse, what Bhagavan says. With this, the real fifth chapter starts. What he's saying? Now, a definite answer he's giving. Sanyasa karma yogascha nisreyasa. This nisreyasa kara ubhau. Nisreyasa kara ubhau. Both of them lead to nisreyasa. Nisreya means Nishchit Rupena Sreya. Definitely that takes you to the ultimate goal of life, the spiritual goal of life. So these are two words, Abhyudaya and Nisreyasa. Abhyudaya speaks of our social upliftment and Nisreya speaks of liberation. So here he's speaking, both can take you to that liberation, to that ultimate good. So Sanyasa Karma Yogascha Nisreya Sakara Ubhau. 
तयोस्तु कर्म सन्यासात कर्म योगो विशिष्य बट दो बोथ कैन टेक यू टू द लिबरेशन एज पर द लिबरेशन इज कॉन्सर्न बोथ आर एज वन इज एज गुड एज द अदर बट एमोंग द टू कर्म सन्यासात कंपेयर टू सन्यास कर्म योग विशिष्य कर्म योग इज बेटर so with this this chapter starts so why bhagwan is saying in this way we will find even in the bible there is a wonderful line jesus says what think not that i am come to destroy the law or the prophets i am not come to destroy but to fulfill so prophets never come to destroy whatever the social norms are there he never destroys he comes to fulfill them there is some deficiency in them he adds some new dimension to it synthesizes the old values and brings a new dimension out of it to fulfill so that we can get rid of the deficiencies and go for a better path so i never come to destroy the prophets come to fulfill so here also we will find the way krishna is speaking is not destroying previously in the time of krishna we will find there are two very distinctive paths the karma in those days was the vedic rites you do all the yagyas with the idea i attain heaven but after death this will lead me to some higher existence so it was all sakama karma even not only heaven even we will find there are so many yagyas varieties of yagyas putrishti yagya the one who doesn't have son they do yagya to get son so even in this life to get wealth to get progeny there are yagyas and there are yagyas which takes you after this life to heaven to so this sakama karma and those who got somehow disgusted with it came out of the society went to the forest to lead the life of a renunciate with that idea that i am the self so there was no in any way synthesis of karma and gyana these two were totally segregate paths now this path of nisrayas are going to the forest and leading an exclusively contemplative life as bhagwan never comes to destroy he is not saying that it is not something which doesn't yield any result it also leads to that ultimate goal and this karma yoga which i am propounding maybe it's something new in those days it was something new what is saying that do the karma but without the idea of that expectation that yagya's expectation do it as an idea of sacrifice then it will yield result as good as the sanyasa how because renunciation uh, what why the renunciation is essential for spiritual life ultimately the entire spiritual life what is the spiritual life is is the dissolution of the ego the idea that i am this limited individuality to get rid of that to get rid of the ahankara to ego that is the sanam bonam of entire spiritual life and in whatever way it can be done in various ways i can sit down and constantly think i am the ultimate self not this body mind complex that's the way i can get rid of the ego or i can be 
involved in all the activities, always being aware of the fact it is the divine who is working through me. It is not me. That also can be the way to get rid of your ego. Both can be the way. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely, when someone asked Ramakrishna, when shall I be free? His answer was, when I, I within inverted commas, when I cease to be. Ami mukto hobo kabe, ami jabe jabe. When shall I be free? When I cease to be. That I is the cause of our bondage. And if there are various ways. So Krishna is saying that these two, both are nisrayas. I can take you to the liberation. Sannyasa, I just renounce everything and go in deep contemplation, always contemplating on the truth that I am the ultimate conscious principle. I am the self. I am not this body, not this mind, not this senses. Aham Brahmasmi. Yes, that's the way. Or I can be in the world, constantly being aware of the fact that the divine is working through this body-mind complex. I am not it. I am the self. Both can be the way. But then why he's saying, after saying this, that but karma yoga is vishishyate, is better than sannyasa. Now this explanation is in the entire of the remaining chapter. So we will go through it, that why, the reason for which karma yoga is superior will be explained from 5.6, the sixth verse of this chapter. From that we will find the explanation starts. But to give a rough idea, why? we will find that renunciation is not something which can be forced. We have been born with certain impulses because of my past association with action. I cannot renounce it immediately. Just to give an example, karma is, a, is an addiction. How? Like any other addiction, the one who is a drug addict, he or she knows that this addiction is destroying me, is totally damaging me. I shouldn't resort to it, but he finds he's forced to. His reason, no way works. The addiction forces him, though he knows that it is destroying life, my life, again and again he resorts to the same addiction. Same way, even by reading the scriptures, by having a very, very <clears throat> rational discussion, I may come to that conclusion that this psychophysical existence is a flow behind that. There is something which is an eternal witness. This is something in our Vedanta which was discovered thousands of years back, which in the, even in the modern science, they're struggling with it. What's that thing? What's the consciousness? Can we replicate it? No, till not now. With all the artificial intelligence, what is very interesting question comes at last. That we may feel, oh, we have almost replicated consciousness. No. What is the thing which is different? It is that eternal witness. So this is called the qualia factor of consciousness. What's that? Now, even if you create an artificial intelligence which is as good as a human being, the big question comes. When that artificial intelligence is chatting with you, you go to the chat GPT. Does the artificial intelligence knows that it is chatting with you? or it has been programmed in such a way with all permutation combinations, it creates a wonderful answer and you feel, oh, it has responded. But does that a, a robot 
knows when you ask a robot to do certain action it does does the robot knows it is doing it now whatever i do someone is behind constantly saying when i'm seeing someone is saying it is you who are saying isn't it there is some one factor who is constantly witnessing all my actions all my thoughts all my feelings someone is a constantly witnessing that's the thing vedanta for thousands of years they told that's the pure essence which has no change that as a as a person i was a small boy i became a young person i was a middle aged person i become old my body is changing my thought process is changing but do i feel the i which was there in that associated with that small body is different from the i as an old man no it's the same i when i was dreaming i wake up and i see oh the dream was something false what i was experiencing was not true so the experience in the dream is contradicting my experience in the wakeful state is contradicting but do i ever doubt the one who was experiencing in the dream and the one who is experiencing in the wakeful state they are the different person no is the same person so the experiencer the one who is experiencing the things which are experienced may be different the stages of life may be different that is something there which even science say can say is a big question but can they it cannot be replicated so that's the thing vedanta is saying that's the thing with which which never changes it is always as it is by wrongly i may associate my identity with the body but i know it's a wrong identity because if because of some disease or because of some accident my hand is amputated or my leg is amputated do i feel i am just 70% of myself no i am as as i was it's not that i am now just 70% of myself i am so that am is something which cannot be adulterated which cannot be adulterated it is it is that eternal existence ever witnessing behind all our actions so <clears throat> to associate with that that's the thing which is spoken of as the ultimate spiritual goal through all our actions we are trying to get associate but it is not easy you can understand it now i say that okay let us stop all our actions and start always being associated with that eternal witness why to just break my consciousness in these all actions feelings can we do it we know it's true with all reasoning we can understand it's true for addictions our association with our actions feelings this turbulence for such a long for lives together has created a tremendous impulse i cannot get rid of it immediately even though i understand it rationally so now don't you feel it's an easier way that let the actions go on let me try to be detached it is something and then what happens ultimately the actions will fall up how just when the fan is revolving how do i stop the fan a switch of the fan nothing else does the fan stop immediately no because of its past momentum it will go on revolving for some time to stop at last isn't it so karma yoga speaks of switching off but behind all the action you have the idea of karta that i am the doer i am the injured you switch off that you are not the karta you are not the bhokta there is some divine force which is working through all those things you are just an instrument so the action can continue you are switching off i don't expect anything out of it the desire is the the power behind our action 
as we saw the raga and dvesha to sustain my body i am attached to certain thing again i am avoiding certain thing that is my destroy the things which may destroy it that's that creates the raga dvesha so those factors fall off and <clears throat> let the action continue i am not that limited ego i am the bro there's a the larger self my association with that makes me get rid of the desires and i try to regulate my life the actions goes on because of its past impulse but the desires behind it that i try to get rid of and that's a very natural process without forcing yourself to forceful renunciation and that can take you to the same goal through the process of karma so now this second process that both are true if i can really if i am a strong willed person i can really stop all my actions feelings and get attached to myself once i say aham brahmasmi and get attached well and good that path is for you but if we are sincere to ourselves most of us will feel that i cannot do that it will be hypocrisy to say that yes i renounce you will find that you have created a mess of your life you are posing something which you are not that way that path becomes very difficult <clears throat> as if we have in the second chapter we saw that bhagwan said it is mithyachara mithya achara you are attempting to do something which is never going to materialize to be fulfilled so achara becomes mithya it becomes a type of hypocrisy so why not resort to a path which will gradually take you to the same goal so that's why bhagwan just if we give just a prelude this is the thing in an elaborate way bhagwan will be discussing from the 6th shloka onwards uh, for the rest of the chapter so now just gradually uh, just enter that a karma yogi who performs actions he will now from the 3rd to the 6th this uh, four verses bhagwan will highlight the idea that one who is doing the actions with the idea of that yoga that it is not just actions out of desire the union the word yoga means union i am doing karma when karma becomes yoga when you are always in union with the divine actions are going on but you are in union with the divine you know you are all your actions are in the presence of the divine for the sake of the divine and all the results are being offered to the divine so this you are always in union with the divine that's why karma becomes yoga it's not just for the attainment of your worldly goals it is just a way to realize that you are an instrument in the hand of the divine so that becomes karma yoga and one who is a karma yogi for him spiritual life becomes a 24 by 7 affair he is no more a part time spiritual practitioner if you become if you say that i want to practice dhyana how long you will practice and then again you get involved with the world your life becomes compartmentalized okay in the morning i wake up i take my bath have my shower i have a special set of dress i wear that go to a particular corner of my house which i call my shrine and i sit for meditation i feel uplifted i offer flowers incense meditate i am in association with the divine whatever i am offering i feel i am offering to the divine and then i come back from that room change my dress 
get dressed for my office. And now I feel the world is waiting for me. So there is a clear cut compartment between spiritual and secular. That this is spiritual. This is that's why Ramakrishna jokingly used to say, Amadir Dharma, Jalajok Purjanta. Ours, our religion is still breakfast. Just before breakfast, that's the religion. Once I have my breakfast, now the world is waiting for me. But here Bhagavan is from third to the sixth. He will stress the idea that if you do your actions and in the sense of yoga, then you become a 24 by 7 spiritual practitioner. There is no segregation between the secular and the spiritual. Everything becomes spiritual. Nothing is secular. Everything becomes spiritual. So that's the idea which has been spoken of in the third sloka. What is the third sloka? Geya sanitya sanyasi yo na dveshti na kaangshati nirdvando ki mahabaho sukham bandhat pramuchyate. So Geya sanitya sanyasi. This is the term. So what's the meaning of nitya sanyasi? Karmanushthana kalepi sanyasi. Though he is involved in the action, still he is sanyasi. <clears throat> As we tell in a Bengali, there is a very nice way of saying it. That uh, Even other language you can understand. It's very simple words. Shadhu shajve. Shadhu habe. Shadhu shajve na. Sadhu hona hai, sadhu sajna ne mat, dhong ne, sadhu ka acting ne karna hai. Sadhu sajna ne, sadhu hona hai. Or sangsari shajve, sangsari hobena. Sangsari sajna hai. Matlab, it, you have to act as if you are a householder. Never become a householder. Sadhu hobe, sadhu shajve na. Grihi shajve, grihi hobena. But we do just the opposite. We do just the opposite. We always tend to be a holy person. We are not holy person. And we are extremely involved in the world. Uh, we cannot just pretend to be. It happens the opposite. Why? Because we don't have the idea of yoga. That even when I'm going to the work field, whatever actions I'm doing, if it becomes as an act of offering to the divine, whatever I'm doing is an act of offering to the divine in my workplace, everywhere. Then spirituality doesn't become a part-time job. It becomes a 24 by seven affair. But example, which we give again and again, when Goodwin, you know, he was the shorthand writer in the days of Swami Vivekananda. Uh, Swami Vivekananda in those days, he was an inspired person. Now we have nine volumes of his complete works, his lectures. His wonderful oratorical, this power, the power of oratory. Now, it was not prepared lecture. This was a not prepared lecture. Whatever used to come out of inspiration, he will speak. And now, his devotees started just realizing that they all will be lost. As it is not, they don't have any transcription. We don't have any notes. It will be lost. And in those days, there was no tape recorder, nothing. Uh, to record the voice, there was no device. The only way was shorthand writing. So some shorthand writer was appointed. His name was Goodwin. He was appointed to uh, take the shorthand notes of Swami Vivekananda's lectures. 
No, he was just a professional person. He came to take the short notes of Swamiji's lectures. And in the process, while hearing, he became an ardent devotee because the words were something that was mesmerizing, transforms life. In the process of taking shorthand, he became an ardent devotee. So when Swami Vivekananda returned to India, Goodwin also came with him. And he used to serve Swamiji meticulously. When Swamiji was sick, all his personal services he used to do. So all the devotees were amassed, others were amassed. How come a person has, he has left his hearth and home? He was a, in <clears throat> England, in London. From there, he came to India, serving Swamiji in this hot climate, in this tropical climate, staying in this all this, what uh, uh, you see, this climatic condition, which is not at all suitable for him, has dedicated his life. So they were all very much impressed. But one of the Western disciples, who also at that time was with Swamiji, he discovered that Goodwin actually gets some remuneration from Swami Vivekananda, some money, some monthly allowance. And as you know, the human mind, immediately she started uh, spreading that news that after all, he is just a worker. He is not a devotee. He is paid for what he does. And it became a gossip. And these words at last uh, came to Goodwin. Goodwin heard it, that such gossip is going on. And his reaction was wonderful. He told, yes, it's true that I do take some allowance from Swamiji. He gives me some allowance. Why? So I have not, uh, uh, I have left my mother, my only relative who, uh, who, who is dependent on me, my mother. When I came to India, <clears throat> I left her in England. She's there and I'm here. Swamiji knows that. And for her sustenance, he do give me some money to, so that I can send it to her. I do accept some money. But let no one think my service is because of money. I really love Swami Vivekananda. I am totally devoted to him. Whatever I do is just an outpour of my heart. So this is Karma Yoga. That as sometimes we may feel that I'm a salaried person. How can I think I'm serving? <coughs> well, the same idea. I have a family. I have to sustain myself. I have to sustain my family. For that, I do take salary. But let it not be equated with the work. The work I do is from the is a passion for, from the bottom of my heart to serve the humanity. Whatever I do, do my work, it in some way or other is serving the humanity, is serving the entire creation. I do it as an opportunity, as a privilege. There are so many who are as skilled as me, but most probably they didn't get that opportunity. I got it. Why not take this opportunity as a service? Whatever I get is not just like with a mercenary attitude that I do this work, for that I am paid this much. No, not that. Your attitude is, yes, the salary is there, but it can in no way equated with my work. My work is priceless. It comes from the bottom of my heart as a service to the humanity, to whatever I'm doing. Then it becomes a worship. The same thing, just you change your attitude. The moment you change your attitude, immediately your self-respect develops. You start feeling respect for yourself. There's no need for the world to respect you. You start respecting yourself. Your own self-image, there's an enhancement in that. 
And then it becomes a worship. You're doing it with a sense of sacrifice. So that's the, the one who can do that. The one who has changed his attitude, his attitudinal correction. And then he can do the actions with that sense. Doing for the larger good, not just for me. Then he is a sannyasi. His constant, why sannyasi means samyak rupe nyasa, that one who has renounced totally. So the renunciation is something which is in your mind, that nothing for me, everything for the larger good. Sat samyak rupe nyasa is sannyasa. So it can be done through karma also. And one who can do, therefore him there is no segregation. All his actions becomes a part of the divine. In the morning, when I am offering something to the divine before the breakfast, I have an idea that I'm offering something. It is not for me. I'm offering to the divine. The same idea is carried outside your temple. In India, we find that so much of corruption sometimes, but so-called the peoples who are religious, the same people in the workforce are highly corrupt. At the, when they're uh, in the temple, they're extremely devoted. Why? Because there's a segregation. I can never carry this worship to the work field. Sri Ramakrishna used to say a wonderful thing. That just see our condition. I can see the stone image as living. And God is moving around as a living being all around. I don't see God there. But I can see the God in a stone, but I cannot see God in the living beings. This bifurcation has happened because of this segregation that my spiritual life is something exclusive from my work. So now why he's saying that the one who is doing karma is a nitya sannyasi. If you can change your attitude, then you need not have to think of just uh, exclusively sit for meditation to be spiritual. That is not bad. That is also needed. Of course, I have some time for my exclusive spiritual practice, but let it not end there. Let it help me to charge my battery. That's just like charging yourself. When I think that I am the self and contemplating, and this idea finds expression through my work, then what are you having? You're discharging what you have charged when you are meditating. Otherwise, for what this practice is? It finds no, no uh, what you say, that expression in your life. That we adore Ramakrishna not because he used to have wonderful visions. I do not have. He had wonderful visions. That really creates some sense of awe. So much every day in his life he is having visions. Wonderful visions going to Samadhi. But Ramakrishna is adored not for that. He comes down and relates to us constantly thinking of our welfare. That how as a human being we can really be uplifted. It is that thing. Because Swami Vivekananda, when he was asked that what has drawn you to Ramakrishna, you'll find a wonderful answer. He was L-O-V-E personified, nothing else. Love personified. So unless your realization finds expression through your life, what's the use of that realization? That is something which has to do with your life. Why should I adore it? You have some visions, what, what it is going to do with my life? Why should I be, I should be respecting you? No, that realization, is it transforming into, channelizing into certain action, which finds expression in such a way that which benefits all, then only I will adore. So that's 
the idea of nitya sanyasi that here by saying that the karma yogi is a nitya sanyasi is not denouncing the sanyasa that's good but can you transform their exclusive spiritual life into your work field if you cannot do that then you are not a, not a nitya sanyasi spirituality just becomes a part time affair and there cannot be a part time spirituality if you have to be spiritual it has to be 24 hours as ramakrishna used to say swami vivekananda swami vivekananda used to test ramakrishna in various ways various ways he will trust him and ramakrishna was always happy that narayan is testing he used to say very interesting thing sadhu ke dine dekhbi rate dekhbi tobe sadhu bole jabe that one cannot be holy person in the daytime and a worldly person in the night time he is a holy person he is to be holy person throughout so spirituality has to be a 24 by 7 affair it cannot be a part time affair and the one who is a nitya sanyasi he alone is the who is a nitya sanyasi who alone can transform his action to worship therefore us at present work and worship work and worship they are two separate entities for a nitya sanyasi work becomes worship work as worship work becomes a worship the one who can do that he is the nitya sanyasi that's the idea geyasa nitya sanyasi yona dveshti nakankshati he is immersed in action but he has gone beyond the idea of likes and dislikes na dveshti nakankshati he is neither hating dvesha kankshati neither is desiring nirdvandva he has gone beyond the dvanda the idea of pleasant and unpleasant that's the dvanda if i am having the idea of pleasant and unpleasant then only i will be attracted towards the pleasant i will be hating the unpleasant so this dvanda from this dvanda this draga dvesha comes so he has, he has become need dvanda he has gone beyond that mahabha sukhang sukhang bandhat pramuchyate he alone is a sukhi is an eternal peace with himself and he has gone beyond all the bondage so that's the idea that's it's very this is the words of <clears throat> this uh, swami vivekananda ramakrishna is powerful he is to say don't seek god see him so we close our eyes to see god we are seeking god we want to we want to see him seeking this seeking so swami ji is saying don't seek god you open your eyes see him he is in all beings he is here and now and here so i found that one sardar ji very interesting he was a very jovial person whenever he will write his name and after his name he will write god is nowhere god is nowhere and we will say why you write don't you believe in god but no it's the way you read it so what do you mean but see if you give space after no then it becomes god is nowhere but if you give the space after w it becomes god is now here okay so where you give the space so he never is to give the space he will without space he will write god is nowhere or then you can you can where you give the space the same sentence becomes god is now here i won't have to close my eyes or die to have the vision of god after this my post mortem existence no here now ihai that's why in upanishad the word iha comes again and again ihaiva ihaiva here and now but after death what happens i don't know if i have to enjoy the bliss of heaven i have to enjoy it here how is it possible by going beyond the dandwa how that the, all the problems will stop no the life will be as it is 
suffering is not because of the events which is happening in my life never how i react to it how i react to that occur this this all the events of life circumstances of life that creates suffering so if i know the art of how to react suffering ceases and that's the thing which has been spoken of need twanda you know you are the just an instrument in the hand of the divine divine is working through you the question of expectation doesn't come question of avoidance doesn't come and when i find a challenging situation i say oh i take sanyas and go back actually that is also a type of akanksha this desire what's the desire in the name of renunciation i am seeking comfort zone i am seeking security so nothing else most of the time you will find i think oh i have developed sanyasa this action is so challenging i seek i leave job i have renounced i don't have any attachment for it but if you really try to dive deep you will find you are just seeking comfort zone you are just seeking security zone nothing else so i don't avoid neither i seek i just always have the idea that the divine has placed me in this situation of life he know <coughs> well <coughs> for a bigger picture that which i am also not aware this entire world is his he has a much bigger vision of what he is going to do with it and i am also just one of the role which a uh, player among the various role players and god is the one who is playing the certain role through me i do it perfectly i'm doing it perfectly so with that sense when i am doing my actions the actions become worship and you become a 24 by 7 spiritual practitioner and that's the idea there behind this idea that na dveshti na kaankshati you neither hate nor you desire neither seek nor avoid so with this idea we will find this idea will be continued in the fourth fifth and the sixth verse so we will take up these ideas one by one and we'll find how nicely bhagwan has created this path without destroying he has accepted that sanyasa is okay but it is really very difficult you will sometimes resort to mithyachara but this is a very very uh, sure short way sure way to lead to the goal by not fighting with your nature you take the help of your nature and your swabhava takes you towards moksha so that this idea will be dealt with again and again in the uh, succeeding slokas which we will take up again in the next class so with this we stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars